Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I'm so lucky to be talking to Chris Cochran. Chris is a director of Security Engineering by Day and host of the award-winning Hacker Valley Studio podcast by night. I met Chris at a podcast conference last year and was immediately intrigued by his nuanced approach to storytelling and well-being within the tech world. I couldn't wait to ask him about the role that books play in his life, and I really enjoyed talking to him today about why Ready Player One by Ernest Cline is the best book ever. If you're looking for an easy way to support this podcast and indie bookstores, why not do me a solid and buy your books using my affiliate link at bookshop.org, an online bookshop with a mission to financially support local independent bookstores. All of the links in my show notes will take you to Bookshop. Or if you want to just go browse on your own, go to bookshop.org slash bestbookever. I'll get a small percentage from your purchase at no extra expense to you, and you'll have the satisfaction of helping to keep our beloved indie bookstores in business. Thank you for supporting my work and indie bookstores. Now, back to the show. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Thank you so much. I'm super excited for this. Chris, pretend you're talking to a kindergartner here, okay? Mm -hmm. Please tell me what you do. <laughs> I I help protect people from the bad hackers out there that are trying to steal information, trying to steal money. So I protect organizations uh, from from th bad things happening on the internet. Now I need you to tell me that there aren't that many people out there trying to get at all my stuff. Oh, there <laughs> there are hundreds of thousands of people trying to get everybody's stuff. Oh, it God. happens all the time. But uh, you have a lot of folks that are focused on protecting organizations, protecting applications, protecting people in their homes. So you have a lot of people on your side. So when you work in cybersecurity, do you focus on one or the other? Like, do you either focus on corporations or individuals in their home or do you do it all? It's kind of a mix. So when I was talking about applications, really what you're doing is when you secure an application, you're securing the people. So you don't want any information to leak outside and be used for nefarious purposes. So uh, it really depends on your role. Sometimes you're focused on protecting a company from being breached, but then you're still protecting other people because a lot of times there's that money in the data that people give to companies, whether it's uh -huh. their credit card information, personal, personally identifiable information. So all that stuff is a treasure trove for bad actors that want to steal this information and sell it to, to people that might want to buy it. How'd you get interested in this? And the reason I'm asking is because I think like, I think it must be one of two types of people, either tech geeks or law enforcement people. Are you <laughs> one of those two? I'm kind of a blend of both. Uh, I was in the United States Marine Corps for about five years, and I've always had this call to duty to, to protect people. But I've also been interested in technology for the majority of my life. I thought I was going to build Terminators when I was a kid. I thought <laughs> robotics was so cool. I never got to robotics, but uh, I found the next best thing in, in computers and seeing how I could talk to someone halfway across the world just by 
popping in front of this box and I wanted to see how things worked and how did things get connected. And then I found out that there are people out there that could do really nifty and sometimes bad things with computers. And so that got me curious about who are these people called bad hackers or good hackers. So there's good hackers and there's bad hackers. And uh, I wanted to be a good hacker. So that's the path I took. You have to really get to know the mind of the bad guys, right? Like, do you, you have to really, yeah, you have to understand their motivation. Like, do you get into that? Like he must've been abused uh, as a kid. I'm always looking for the story. A hundred percent because I, I actually specialized in a very specific form of cybersecurity for the majority of my career, which is threat intelligence. And threat intelligence is all about understanding the attacker, what they can do, why they would want to do that, uh, understand what, what do they get out of it? What are the resources that person might have? And so that really gets into a lot of the psychology, a lot of the, the intent coming up with assessments as to why you think this person might attack us or what they're looking for, coming up with all those different assessments and predictions uh, is what I spent the majority of my career doing. So you have a podcast. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. So yeah, Hacker Valley Studio is my baby. We've been doing it for about two years. I do it with my good friend, Ron Eddings. Uh, Ron is, is one of those super brainiac technical people. And I'm more of like the, the leader, soft skills, emotional intelligence person. So when we come <laughs> together, uh, we, we create this, this dynamic duo of Hacker Valley Studio. And we, we do as we live in the fringes of cybersecurity. So there are people that listen to our podcast that are cybersecurity professionals and people that are not, because a lot of the times we're bringing in folks inside of and out of cybersecurity to look at the fringes of cybersecurity. So we bring in chess grandmasters and talk about strategy and about looking at the opponent as, as something to get around. How do you try to, to make moves that are going to be thwarted by an enemy and then counter counteract that? Uh, we look, we have, we've brought on world champions in, in wrestling. We've brought on martial arts analysts. We've brought in authors. We've brought in people from all around the, the humanity biome. And uh, we take those learnings and we apply it to cybersecurity and try to inspire people to, to do more in, in the world that we, we live in. Given that you are in front of a screen all the time, I have to bring it back to books. How do you read? Do you read paper <laughs> books or are you, a, are you an e-reader? So I, I do Audible now. I mm. used to be a big, big book reader. I can't do the e-readers really hard for me. I just started doing a note-taking on a Remarkable, which is kind of like a, an e-reader type device. Uh, so that's how I take notes now. But I really love tangible books, like the, the smell of the paper, the flipping of the pages. That's my favorite thing. Even if I listen to uh, an Audible uh, book and I love it, I always buy the the, the paperback or the, the hard hardcover book. Um, maybe when I get some more time after uh, my kids are out of the house or something, I could go back to good old fashioned paper books. But right now, Audible uh, audiobooks is, is the way I, I digest. What kind of reader are you? Like what what genres do you tend to go for? So I go through phases. I go through phases. Um, I would say more often than not uh, in the, the past, maybe 10 years or so, I've been a, a self-help junkie. I just constantly reading different self-help books, but I, I've kind of come to the conclusion that even though there are so many self-help books out there that probably have 
so much to, to offer that a lot of them kind of overlap. And so once you've read a hundred self-help books, you probably have the gist of what you need to apply to your life to kind of move forward. So what I've kind of done is, is like I've refocused on reading for entertainment because that's really how I got started. I started reading goosebump books. That's when everything changed for me. You know, we had the the scholastic fair, mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, this looks interesting. And I've always been interested in, in the spooky, scary stories. I was like, let me, let me get one of these books. And I remember instantly being addicted because it, it allowed, I'm an escapist. I love to disconnect from reality and dive into this world that has been created by an author. I'm also a movie person. I love movies, but really books is where I found that, that disconnection, being able to use my mind because I get my creativity from my mom. Uh, she's an author and uh, we used to kind of freestyle stories and I still do it with my girls today. They'll say, give, a, give me a, a bedtime story. And I'll just come up off the top of my head and I'll create this big adventure. But what I found is books really allow you to, to tap into that creativity yourself. You're able to create the world as the, the author is explaining it. And I was doing that through these books, uh, through these goosebump books. And it would get to the point where I was getting so versed at reading through these books that I would enter a flow. And I would no longer see the words. I would only see the images. And it, it would just fly by and it would get to the point where I could read a goosebump book in, in an hour or something like that. And then I'm like, all right, now I need another one. And I was so addicted to reading that whenever I was anywhere where there was nothing going on, I would read shampoo bottles or I would read uh, the junk mail that would come in into the house. I was just so addicted to just ingestion of, of data in the form of story. So what do you read now after you grew out of that? Or maybe you didn't. Do you still read the Goosebumps books? Do, you, do your kids read? Them? I have I, I have like 150 of them. Uh, oh, I'm just waiting God. for one of my daughters to 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 get interested in, in like, hey, there you go. Here's a whole treasure trove of Goosebump books for your your disposal. They're going to be so excited when they when they get into the Goosebumps, when they they're going to look up and go, oh my God, there are so many of them here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so right now I'm 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 dabbling in a few different things. Um, uh, I just did that whole stint uh, of self help books. Uh, when we were talking about doing this uh, podcast, I, I couldn't choose between my favorite uh, fiction book or my favorite nonfiction book. And my favorite uh, nonfiction book right now is The Art of the Impossible, uh, which by Stephen Kotler. And uh, yeah, we. It talks about flow. It talks about performance. It's all the things that we talk about on the Hacker Valley side of the house to make people better. And so that was like an instant hook for me. And I got a chance to to interview him actually mm. uh, on his podcast, well, which was pretty cool, uh, cool experience and be able to talk about that stuff. But now I'm trying to go somewhere else. I want to go into a completely different world. So uh, Norse uh, by Neil Gaiman, um, that's that's what I'm working on now. And actually, I started the, the Audible, but I just bought the hardcover uh, book. And we're about to go on vacation. We're going to Mexico. So I'm actually going to be able to have the time to sit down and, and read this because nice. I feel like those old mythologies, I feel like they're, they're super fascinating because they were created at a time where there wasn't a lot of distractions and it's really deep. Like there's so much to, to the mythology of the Norse mythology. So being able to learn more about that, where things come, come from, like 
Thursday came from Thor, which is crazy, right? So you would have to think that all of this information, all of these stories, they play such a huge role in our lives on a day-to-day basis, but a lot of people haven't heard them. So uh, I'm going to take a lot of time and I'm going to read that book all the way through. Are you someone who rereads frequently? I don't reread frequently. I I, I usually uh, enjoy a book and I kind of move on to the next one. The only book I would say I've reread is the book we're going to talk about today. And how did you find this initially, Ready Player One? How did you come across this? Yeah, Ready Player One, I discovered it when I I was on an audible kick uh, way back when. I had an hour and a half to two hour commute every single day to Washington, Mm. D.C. and then back. So it was hard for me to watch movies over and over and over again. So I, I said, you know, maybe what I would want to do is, is get into listening to audiobooks. And so, you know, I had an audible um, subscription. And so I, I kind of went to my old favorites, just kind of get the the feel of going through audiobooks. And then I said, well, what, what's out there that's incredible. And so you look at the list and see what has high ratings and ready, ready player one had incredible ratings. And I, and I said, okay, well, you know, Thousands of people can't be wrong. If they think it's good, let's give it a shot. And I related so much to the story in general, just from my own personal life, the way I I like to enjoy certain things in fiction. And it just hit a lot of those checkboxes. And uh, from the very beginning uh, to the end, I, I was hooked. Can you describe the plot for our listeners who haven't read it? It's very different than the movie. Very, very different uh, from the movie. I would say they're they're they have essence of the same, but I, I would say it's very different. And if if you're a reader and you've already watched uh, Ready Player One, I, I encourage folks to to go ahead and pick that book up and 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 listen or listen to it or read it. Mm. Uh, but the book is about Wade Watts. Uh, Wade Watts is uh, probably um, early adulthood, and what's going on is this almost like post-apocalyptic or, or at least at least a, a dystopian future where a lot of folks are poor. There was wars that kind of went on. And I think it's Columbus, Ohio. That's like now the most populated city in America. And there's a lot of poverty and they live in these things called stacks where they have RVs that are stacked up on top of each other, almost like apartment buildings. And the crazy thing about this world is that there's this thing called the Oasis and think of the Oasis like the internet of today, but a hundred percent virtual reality. So you get these goggles that you step into and people wear different suits to be able to feel different things and have different abilities, but you make your avatar much like any other game. You can look a certain way. You can be a certain height. You could be a, a monster. You could be really whatever you want it to be. and what's incredible about the story and it really, I I don't want to give it too, too much away, but I do want to say that in the very, very beginning, the, the creator of the Oasis dies. And this person is a mega billionaire. Like, and when they die, they leave Easter eggs. So folks that are familiar with video games, they know what Easter eggs are, but Easter eggs are things that are hidden within games that, 
only the, the true hobbyists, the true practitioners of video gaming would be able to find or care to find. So looking for things that, that are just kind of either funny or even things that give you additional abilities. But the owner of the Oasis, before he died, he hid these keys around uh, the Oasis in order to find this, this ultimate Easter egg, which ends up giving you ownership of the Oasis and, and his, and his uh, fortune. So from then that sets the tone for the entire story. So, you know, you're going to be in for an adventure, you know, there are going to be puzzles that Wade is going to have to solve. You know, that there's obviously going to be some type of adversary and uh, just from the very beginning of the book, uh, you're, you're sucked in. So tell me why you like this so much. I like it so much because I love stories about normal people that become extraordinary in some way. And it could be in the form of powers. It could be something like this where someone gets so good at, at gaming, they, they meet this awesome level. Uh, but thing, like stories like Rocky, like a very normal boxer that has been a, given this opportunity to become something bigger than himself. My favorite movie of all time is The Matrix a regular hacker who goes on this incredible journey and becomes this person that can bend reality and break the rules of reality in, in the simulation. So I've always been fascinated by folks that start off as, as normal people, but become something great because uh, I'd say probably around middle school, and I'm, I'm sure this is the same story for most people, but you know, in middle school, I got made fun of. I didn't have any friends. Uh, I was the, you know, a kid, dorky kid with glasses. I was, you know, pretty intelligent. So I knew the answers to questions and I didn't know how to, to show my value to, to these people. I thought maybe if I answer enough questions or get good enough grades, people will like me, but that didn't seem to work out very well. Um, but over my, over time, I, I said, there are things that I need to develop. And it, at first it started as developing myself for these people. Like I, I want to be a value. I want to be seen as someone of value. And I, I found that initially that, that did help. So I got in shape. I was on the wrestling team. You know, I did all these, these great things, but it really didn't fulfill me in any type of way. I thought that, Oh, wow. Once I have these things of value, that's where the value for me will come from. But as I've gotten older, I, I put less value on the value that people see in me and I put more value on my ability to make an impact on people's lives. So that's why I do the things like the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. There's so many people that reach out to us about how some information was impactful for them or a story changed how they thought about a particular topic. So I, I find that to be the, the reward now. And it's funny because now I'm I'm trying to keep people away from me a little bit I'm, because people reach out to me all the time. It, it, I get overloaded with, with questions and things like that. And I, I wish I could reach and talk to everybody, but it's getting really difficult, especially in this time of, of zoom fatigue where everybody, I just sit in meetings all day long, which yeah. is why I haven't been able to, to spend the time I went to uh, reading physical books, but eh, it's the world we live in. But that, that is uh, why that book spoke to me. Do you, as I was reading this and thinking about you reading this, I was wondering, like, are you able to read it as a story and just get into the plot or because of the brain that you have, like, do you spend all your time thinking about the techie stuff and thinking, 
soon we're going to be able to do that or this technology will never exist or you, do you know what I'm saying? Like I have no idea about that stuff. So I, I kind of skim yeah. the, the techie stuff. So I was curious, you know, how you see the story and if you're able to separate from the tech stuff. Yeah, I'm definitely able to separate from it. The only time that something takes me out of the story is if I know something so well and they do it so wrong that it's like it's like nails on a chalkboard. But I, <laughs> I give a lot of people grace, like even like military movies. So I, I was in the Marine Corps and I'll see movies where the uniform's just off or anything like that. But I don't let that ruin the story for me. But if they do something that's just completely wrong, like almost like they didn't do any of their homework, that that would bother me. But with with this story, I really didn't start thinking about it, about the technology and all that until after I finished reading it, uh, because I, I was just so immersed in this story. And my favorite things are, are when those stories like suck you in yeah. and there's no other thoughts going on. You're not thinking about you're you're not thinking about your house. You're not thinking about your bills. You're not thinking about anything but being in the story. And all you can see is the story. All you, all you can hear is the story. So I, I was able to be really, really present for that. I kept thinking throughout this book about the levels of reality and how mm. there are points in this book where you don't know where Wade is if he's in his headset or I didn't. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't know if he's in his headset or if he's actually outside of his headset and talking to humans. And I, I had to, and then I was thinking, this is a, a book about a kid who video games mm -hmm. like, and then the, a movie was made about a kid, about a book about a kid with video games. And I kept <laughs> thinking like our layers of reality are wild right now. And it's hard mm -hmm. to know where human contact starts and stops. A hundred percent. There's a part in the Matrix where Morpheus simply asks the questions, what is real? Because in the Matrix, they're living in the simulation. But Neo had an entire life in the simulation. Like, was it real or was it not? Right. So when you think about even in the, the context of Ready Player One, being in that VR world, the mind has a hard time decoupling what is virtual reality versus what, what is real. I don't know if you've played like virtual reality games where they're scary, like the scary games. Mm -mm. My brain, even though I know it's fake, like there's a lot of anxiety that kind of enters into that that reality because your brain doesn't know it's fake. Your brain doesn't know that the the birds that are flying at you aren't aren't real and they're not going to hurt you. There's some real guttural reactions that happens in virtual reality, and so I feel like even though that everything is, is fabricated and it's fake, your mind takes on some of that with you. Like I, I remember some virtual reality games more so than I, I remember some of the memories from my real life. So I feel like when you're talking about, you, you can't really separate the two and Wade Watts's mind, they're, they're one and the same. And in fact, he felt like his real life was just the time in between the game. So yeah, it's it's an interesting philosophy to think about. His entire school is online. Mm -hmm. All of his friendships are online. And and it was bizarre reading that in a pandemic year when all of our kids' schools online and all of our work is online. And it was a mm -hmm. wild thing to think we're 
and this is a really cliche thing to say, but we're not that far away from it, really. I mean, I, I don't no, know technology wise, but experience wise, we're not that far from it. Yeah, I don't think we're far from it at all. I think someone somewhere is working on an oasis for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So what do you think about, are you a big fan of the 80s? You're younger than I, me, I'm... so I, I can't imagine you lived <laughs> through it. So for me, it was wild reading it because I lived through the 80s. So I was I was born in 85. So the, the 80, I lived through the very tail end of the 80s and just the 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 whispers of the 80s and the in the early 90s so that so i i got a lot of the references of all the movies obviously being a movie buff i've seen all the movies they brought up um the video games of course because uh, i was a really really early uh video game adopter and that was basically from my mom she had to have herself a nintendo and her love of video games uh really just kind of was imprinted onto to me my brother and my sister so yeah, everything in that book I, I can relate to. Um, obviously, I couldn't relate to the same way as, um, you know, they, they could in the book because when they were going through some of these things, uh, the the main the main guy that created the Oasis, he was a, a teenager, young adult when he was going through a lot of these memories. So, yeah, obviously couldn't relate on that level but definitely understood and, and recognized a lot of the stuff that they were talking about. The technology all went forward, but all of the cultural references mm -hmm. went backward. And I thought yep. that was so interesting. And I was thinking, it, is, is Ernest Klein saying like, are we going to stop producing art as our technology gets better? <laughs> and all I, and all we're going to have to do is look back and be nostalgic for the old pop culture. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting about it is that so James Halliday is interested in the 80s and the clues are locked into all of these artifacts from the 80s. And so James Halliday is really the influencer that brought back this. So, I mean, if you really want to think about it, if if Ernest Klein is talking about anything when it comes to um, anything deeper from a, a social level, it's really the the power of an influencer. Like if you think about it, the the influencers of today, the people that are on the TikToks and the Instagrams and things like that, people are subscribing to their way of dressing, the way they act, the, the items that they buy, because they're they're the ultimate influencer. I want to do what the people are doing, and so in in this context, because uh, James Halliday had so much money, influence, built the Oasis, and has you know there's a. a not just because he was an influencer, but because there is a, a big ticket item at the end of this journey, people dived back into the eighties and they found an appreciation for it, uh, which I, I find to be pretty fascinating. It was funny to read because I was thinking as I was reading it, this is, these are the guys I went to high school with. I just remember these guys so clearly the the dungeons and dragons guys, the guys who were into rush, the guys who were just, at the arcades all the time. And, mm -hmm. and, and I'm mm -hmm. saying guys, there were a few of the girls I went to school with who did it too, but it, I mean, let's be honest, it's a mostly male thing, right? This, right. Maybe not anymore. I, do you think it is anymore? The landscape of, um, I, I think it's changed quite dramatically over the years. Uh, if you look at some of the folks that are doing like cosplay these days or into comic oh, books, yeah. 
I think it's so much more even uh, these days than ever before. But I would have to agree with you around that time. I would say it's probably a, a male dominated hobby, male dominated interest. Uh, but I, I think there were definitely some early adopters back in the day from a, from a, a woman's perspective. But mm-hmm. and now it's so much more even. Yeah. Even in the in the game playing. Even happiness. in the game playing. Mm. Absolutely. You have Twitch streamers, male, female, like it, it just me from the inside looking out. I would say it's about even I don't have any hard, hard data on that, but I, I think it's definitely uh, come to like an equilibrium. So have you seen the movie? I have seen the movie. I've watched it a couple of <laughs> times and you, you kind of have, it's still a good movie. It was, okay. I was concerned uh, when they said, hey, we're going to turn this into a movie, because I thought, number one, how are you going to get away with all that product placement? That mm-hmm. seems almost impossible. Um, but also, it just seemed like it'd be a really hard movie to make. I think from a technology perspective, they made it at a good time because the CGI was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. But they had to change a lot of the actual story, um, especially with getting the different keys um, in order to make it fit this hour and a half, you know, uh, really condensed format. Um, I think they did a great job. They added some cool surprises from my perspective, uh, but very, very different from the book. I liked the movie before I read the book and then I read the book and now I, I don't understand the point. <laughs> of the movie. Like it's not the same thing at all. Yeah. What, what was going through your mind as, as you went through, through the book? Mostly that I didn't get it that I didn't, mm. it, which I don't mind that, you know, I was, I was reading it and thinking there is a world out there of gamers and people who are so into technology and I know nothing about it. And I love stumbling upon things like that. I love stumbling on subcultures that I know nothing about and realizing like, mm my world is not everything. That is so exciting to me. Right. And and that was how I felt through this whole thing. Like, what the hell? Just turn the game off. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Just because that's what I would do. But I, I'm probably not the demographic for this, right? If, if I had to guess because of the, the, it seemed like he over-indexed on the 80s stuff, I would figure it'd be stuff for mm. people my age, a little bit older, uh, mm-hmm. that understand all that whole world. Because, I mean, they name a bunch of movies that mm-hmm. people from today, they're not going to watch any of these movies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're not going to just stumble upon this and, and be like, hey, I'm going to check check this movie out. Uh, but I, I do think it does speak to the person that understands games and the appeal of, of gaming in general, because there's levels to it Uh, with the, the newer age games. Now you have people that are playing online. So you, you have people that all want to be top of the leaderboard. I've never been the top of the leaderboard in anything. I, I don't play games enough, but there are people that their, their entire life's mission is to be at a particular top of the leaderboard one day. In whatever game that is. So when you look at it from that context, someone that gets really excited about someone making an achievement that only few people can taste, that's a part of this story because uh-huh. there's only going to be one winner. There's only one person that can do it. And what's cool is that everybody can play at the same time. It's almost like everyone's at a base slate. And so you look at the adversary in this book, which is IOI, which is like they're an entire corporation and they hire people to play the game and they're trying to like 
use each other, use resources in order to win, which is also something I like. I like the underdog story, yeah. right? And, and Wade Watts is definitely the underdog versus this big giant corporation. But when you look at it from, from that perspective, it really just says everybody's equal, play the game and let's see who wins. And so I, I, I find that fascinating. The disconnect for me is in this book, there's a gigantic prize at the end. But in our everyday life, there's nothing like that except your name on the leaderboard. Right. right? So mm-hmm. what's the appeal of that? The appeal of that is the, the, the game of, of competition. Um, mm. I would say, of course, yeah, it would be great if everybody could make millions of dollars. And in fact, some of these esports, they're starting to get crazy amounts of money. But I feel like oh. in in the in the book, it was more about control of IOI and not ceding control to making it like this corporate greed um like weapon. But mm-hmm. I feel like when it comes to that competition. Being number one, being the first, uh, being able to do something that other people are trying to do, but you're the one that accomplishes it. Uh, I, I think that's something that that gets everybody's endorphins running, whatever it is. Like maybe some people pick locks, some people go shopping, some people collect cards. And so whenever you open that that pack of cards, you're seeing whatever is in it. So all of that stuff is appealing to different folks. And sometimes People won't get it. Like, who cares? Your name's on the top of the board. That no big deal. But for someone else, that's their gold medal. Right. That's their Olympic gold medal. That's what they've been striving for for the last four years. They've been playing this game eight hours a day. They've been, you know, sipping Mountain Dew, trying to stay up, <laughs> trying to improve their their craft. So for some people, that's that's their championship. Chris, honestly, I could talk to you all day. This has been really fun getting to know you. And I hope you will come back anytime you have a book that you love that you would like to talk about. Will you tell my listeners where they can find your work? Yeah, absolutely. The easiest way to get a hold of me and and look at all the things that we produce is HackerValley.com. It's H-A-C-K-E-R-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you see all our podcast stuff. You'll see some of our other shows and be able to reach out to me on social media. I'm, I'm open. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining me today. It's really been a delight talking to you. Thank you so much. This is great. Thanks for listening, Bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, please go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie Wrote a Book. If you'd like to hear more from this week's guest, become a patron of the Best Book Ever podcast. For about the cost of a latte, you'll get exclusive interview clips, monthly book roundups, and curated reading lists. Go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash best book ever to learn more. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.